0: Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Hellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As aquarist, it seems to me like little time is spent attempting to understand how and why the natural habitats of our fishes evolve and function, and how we can utilize this information in our aquariums. I think it's a really interesting way to craft and maintain fantastic aquariums. Rather than looking to nature just for the look, we can actually model our aquariums after the way these systems function. Now, there's almost unlimited aquatic habitats to gain inspiration from. If we focus on one of my favorite habitats, streams, my personal areas of interest, there's, there's some really cool takeaway for us as aquarists that we can gain by studying how they form and how they function. And as with virtually all aquatic systems, the relationship between land and water is always impactful. How much of the, or actually I should say, much of how streams form and flow revolves around how sediments and other bottom materials arrive in them. It's important to note that the volume of water entering the stream helps in part to determine the amount and size of sediment particles that can be carried along and thus comprise the substrate and its contours. The composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream, affecting the composition and ecology in many ways. I'll probably state this idea more than once in this podcast because it's really important. Every stream is unique. Although there are standard structural or functional elements common to many streams, each stream is essentially a custom response to local ecological, topographical, meteorological, and biological factors. Makes sense. Permanent streams will often have different volume and material composition, usually finely packed sands and gravels with lots of smooth stones than the more intermittent streams, which are the result of inundation caused by rain, uh, etc. Or even so, the so-called ephemeral streams, which are often packed with leaves and very lighter sediments, which typically occur only immediately after rain events, which means they usually don't have fish in them unless they're washed into them from more permanent water courses, which does of course happen quite a bit. The latter two stream types are typically more affected by leaves, botanical debris, and branches and other materials like the igarapes, the canoe ways of Brazil, little channels and rivulets which come and go with the seasonal rains. And then there's those flooded igapó forests forests that I obsess over, as you know. I just called them forests, didn't I? That's funny. Uh, in the overall Amazon region, and you know I was headed back there, right? It sort of works both ways, with rivers influencing the surrounding land, and then the land giving some of these materials back to the rivers. The extensive lowland areas bordering the rivers and and their tributaries, known as varzeas or floodplains, are subject to annual flooding, which helps foster enrichment of the aquatic environment. We've talked about those quite a bit, haven't we? The materials that comprise the I should say that materials that fall from trees, which are found in the surrounding habitat, are known in ecology as allochthonous material, something imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. Extra points if you can pronounce that on the first try, or say it ten times fast. And of course, in the case of trees, this also includes leaves, fruit, and seed pods that fall or are washed into the water along with branches and trunks that topple into the streams or rivers. You know, the stuff we obsess over around here. Although many streams derive their food base from leaves and organic matter, there's a lot of other material present that contributes to its structure. Think along those lines when scheming your next aquarium. Ask yourself what factors would contribute to the bottom composition of the area that you're taking inspiration from. Streams and river bottom composition is affected by, as we've said before, things like regional weather, current geology, the surrounding terrestrial ecosystem, and a host of other factors, all of which can make planning your next aquarium even more interesting if you take these into consideration. It's worth a little Google, a little time on the internet studying, and there's a whole dynamic of water movement. Like what role does the flow of water determine the ecology of a given stream, and how will it recruit life forms to reside in it? You'll see a variety of bottom compositions in Amazonia and Asia and all kinds of other areas ranging from the aforementioned leaves and detritus and stream margins to sand and silt over cobbles to boulders covered in algae to fine patch gravels and even just silt. You might even say that rivers and streams act like nature's sediment sorting machines as they move debris, uh, geological materials, and botanical materials along their courses. And along the way, varying ecological communities are assembled, with all sorts of different fishes being attracted to different niches. Interestingly, in streams, the primary producers of food webs that attract our fishes are algae and diatoms, which are typically found on rocks and wood, wherever light nutrients create optimum conditions for their growth. Organic material that enters streams via leaf fall or leaf drop is acted upon by fungi and small organisms, which help to break it down and of course in and of themselves become food resources. It's probably no surprise then that bacteria, especially those in biofilms, and the fungi are the initial consumers of the organic material that accumulates on the bottom of these streams. Like this stuff many of us loathe and hate, right? These in turn are extremely vital to fishes as a food source. Hence, one of the things I love so much about utilizing a leaf litter bed is a big part of your substrate composition in an aquarium, because I like this stuff. Of course, we talk about that all the time, don't we? Yeah, because it's kind of fundamental. Now streams which flow over stony open bottoms, free from natural obstacles like tree trunks and stuff like that, tend to develop rich algal turf on their shallow surfaces, Their surfaces facing uh, upwards towards the sun. While not something a lot of hobbyists would like to see in their tanks, with the exception of you Mbuna guys and weirdos like me. Algae-covered rocks and stones are entirely natural and appropriate for the bottom of many aquariums. Now enter a tank with that in the next international aquascaping contest, and see the ensuing judge freak out that it causes. It will. Grazing <laughs> fishes, of course, will feed extensively among these algal films, and it would be logical choice for a stony bottom-themed type aquarium. When we think about the way nature uh, organizes fish communities it's almost always as a result of adaptations to the physical environment and, wait for it, food sources. Now, not everyone wants to have that algae-covered stone or massive decomposing leaves on the bottom of their new aquarium, I get it. However, I think that considering the role that these materials play in the composition of streams and the lives of the fishes which inhabit them is important and entirely consistent with our goal of creating the most natural, effective aquariums for the animals which we keep. As a hobbyist, you can uh, employ many elements of these natural systems in a variety of aquariums, using in a number of readily available materials to do the job. And let's face it, pretty much no matter how we escape a tank, no matter how much or how little thought and effort we put into it, our fishes will ultimately adapt to it. That's something you don't have to stress over everything being exactly the way you want it, uh, and especially when it comes to the comfort of the fishes. They'll find the places that they're comfortable hiding in. The places they like to forage, they like to sleep and spawn. It doesn't matter that your scape consists of carefully selected roots, seed pods, rocks, plants, or driftwood, or simply a couple of clay flower pots, or even a few pieces of egg crate. Your fish will make it work. Now, will they be more comfortable among more natural aquariums or uh, natural materials or materials that they're more used to ev- from an evolutionary base in, in nature? Probably. But it's what fishes do, it's what they've done for eons. They adapt. Fishes tend to live in areas where the food and protection is, as we've talked about many times before. Places that provide protection from stronger current and above and below water predators. Places where they can create territories, interact and spawn, or even defend themselves. Reduction of stress, indeed survival. That's pretty important in the wild, so I'd imagine it's equally as important in the aquarium. Now, in the end, design and build the aquascape that makes you happy. However, if you're trying to create something a bit different, and perhaps a little bit more true to nature, You might want to take a little field trip to a nearby stream, a river, a creek, a lake, or whatever, where fishes and other aquatic animals reside, and observe things from the perspective of how they interact with the features of the environment. So, to recap, we go back to the streams of the tropical world. They're amazing habitats for aquatic organisms to live in. There's a reason why these environments are successful, why life exists and indeed thrives in them. And there's reasons why we're starting to see incredible results when replicating some of the functional aspects of these environments in a more faithful manner than we may have attempted in the past. Numerous questions remain to be answered. Tons of data needs to be accumulated. There's setbacks to recover from, triumphs to savor, invaluable knowledge yet to be gained and fun to be had. And you, as a hobbyist, are right in the thick of it. How cool is that? Stay bold. Stay firm. Stay focused. Stay open-minded. Stay resourceful. Stay creative. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. And I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Ten.